Is loneliness a modern-day epidemic, or is it just part of life? Join me and three experts as we dive into one of society's last taboos. Hello there, and welcome back to the Cider Magazine podcast series, promising to sort your life out one step at a time. Today's episode is on how we combat loneliness, I'm joined by Amy Perrin, who is CEO of UK charity Marmalade Trust, Louise Golden, who is founder of the Together Project, and Manuela Barreto, who is Professor of Social and Organisational Psychology at the University of Exeter. You'll be hearing from them very shortly. But first off, you might be asking, Why are you talking about loneliness? And isn't there some irony in the fact you're talking about this topic on your own? Well, yes, that is certainly the case, and that will be rectified in a few moments. But in all seriousness, society has arguably been boiling to a point around loneliness for some time, and way before the current coronavirus pandemic. The Economist declared loneliness to be the leprosy of the 21st century, and researchers found that over 9 million people in the UK, that's almost a fifth of the population, always or often feel lonely. The dangers here are more stark than you might imagine. Research shows that people who are lonely are more likely to develop illness, such as cancer, heart disease or depression, and they're also almost 30% more likely to die an early death. But to understand such issues and how we deal with them, we first need to step back in time. It's important to point out that loneliness is by no means a new thing. The term first appeared in 1800s literature, but actually goes much further back to our ancestors millions of years ago. Research from the University of Oxford found that primates needed to be belong to an intimate social group, be that a band or family, in order to survive. This is especially true for humans, as those you didn't know would likely kill you, thereby eliciting that fight-or-flight response. More recently, however, loneliness has been stigmatised, but it has often influence popular culture, from Mice and Men and the Beatles and the Rigby to poet John Donne's famous No Man is an Island, loneliness has often been seen as an intriguing if slightly undesirable character flaw, threatening to segregate them from society and their loved ones. And indeed, rarely have the outcomes been terribly optimistic. Mark Twain's Huckleberry Finn said, I felt so lonesome, I most wished I was dead, while Holden Caulfield in The Catcher in the Rye experienced it more or less as a permanent problem. He regarded death as the final solution, as did Ophelia in Hamlet. Fear not, though, everyone. The reality of loneliness and the solutions to it are somewhat different. In today's episode, we're going to discuss the state of loneliness today and how it's been influenced by government lockdowns, social media, our relationships and our communities. We'll also look at how loneliness is linked to our identity, how we can spot it in children, and perhaps crucially, the differences between functional and chronic loneliness. Finally, we'll investigate how we can look after ourselves, our friends and family, and how we can make for a more inclusive community once COVID-19 finally disappears. So, let's meet the panel. Amy and Prof. 
Professor Manuela. Thank you for joining me today. Um, so I guess first of all, could you, if I start with you, yourself, Louise, can you just introduce um, who, who you are, um, what you're doing, and, and I guess how you're looking to improve loneliness? Sure. So I'm Louise Goulden, and I'm the founder and director of a nonprofit called The Together Project. And we run intergenerational activities to try and combat the fact that in the UK, we are massively segregated um, along age lines and it's actually getting worse. And that comes with a huge host of problems um, across all age groups, um, one of the most significant of which is loneliness and social isolation. So we put together activities that help to unite different parts of the community in order to try and alleviate some of those, um, those issues. Perfect. Thanks, Louise. And I know we're going to talk a bit about the intergenerational aspect of loneliness later. So, um, Amy, perhaps I can come to you next and the work you're doing at Marmalade Trust. Hi, my name's Amy Perrin. I'm founder of Marmalade Trust. We're a loneliness charity that's based in Bristol, but we have a national reach. Uh, we have a couple of different aims. Our main mission is to try and help create a society where we all recognise that loneliness exists. We talk about it more um, and we help people try and find friendship as well. Mm -hmm. Perfect. And last but not least, uh, Professor Manuela, uh, introduce yourself, please. Uh, so my name is Manuela Barreto. I'm a professor of social and organizational psychology at the University of Exeter, and I study loneliness. I don't do a lot about it. I study loneliness. Um, I look at what are the predictors, what makes people sometimes feel more lonely than, than at other times, and I look at it as a transient circumstance, a feeling that can go away, uh, and so try to understand how that might happen, um, but of course leave the practice to my colleagues here on the panel. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you, everyone. So I guess the big question I want to start with when we were speaking about this before was um, essentially what loneliness is today, how we what we think when we say loneliness, what do we mean by that? And perhaps how it's changed in, in some aspects um, over the years. Um, Louise, what's your kind of opening thoughts on that and what lo what loneliness means to you, really? For me, <laughs> And what I've observed in the work that we do is, is loneliness is about the absence of, a, of an emotional connection. So the old adage of being lonely in a crowd is very true. You can, you can be in a room or in a situation with many, many people, but if you don't have people who you feel a genuine um, connection um, to, then that can lead to, to loneliness. So a lot of the work that we do is based in, in residential care. So working with older adults in care homes and nursing homes, and um, they may live with 30, 40, 50 plus other people. But um, if they don't have people there that they can feel an emotional connection to, then that can be incredibly isolating and debilitating. Um, that can happen to um, new mums, for example, and, and new parents generally but often it's it, in our society it's the, it's the mother who who takes that break from her career her previous life um and embarks upon this whole new journey and you can go to you know a whole load of rhyme time and mother and baby groups and um be surrounded by people but again if you don't have an emotional connection you can feel incredibly lonely so um it's something that can affect all age groups, men and women, um, people that might seem incredibly successful and doing really well in their lives, we can all feel lonely at some point um, and to a greater or lesser extent. And I think a lot of it is, is bound up with um, how we're feeling in ourselves at that time as well. So we might have periods of feeling incredibly lonely and isolated um, and other periods where actually 
um, we might be in a similar set of circumstances, but mentally we're feeling in a much stronger place. So we feel much more resilient and so we feel those effects um, at, a, at a lesser scale. Mm -hmm. Just to test some of those, I guess that when we think of loneliness um, historically, and, and I'm a volunteer at Age UK, which is obviously helping generally elderly people, we tend to think of that association, right, of loneliness and, and the elderly. Um, and perhaps, Manuela, I'll start with you on this, because I know on the BBC loneliness report you did, um, that almost turned it on its head somewhat. That they found that I think that the biggest group of, of loneliness was 16 to 24. I think 40% of that age group felt lonely at some point, um, compared to 24% for over 75. So um, just talk us through a bit about that, because I think as a society, perhaps, we, when we think of loneliness, we do assume it to be that, the, the elderly, really. Yeah, I think that assumption comes uh, from some stereotypes about what it, what it means to be old and what it means to be lonely, which are not necessarily accurate. Um, but uh, I guess it also depends on, on what each person uh, means by, being, by feeling lonely. And, and that can vary quite a little bit. But generally, what we find is that it's very much a comparative um, assessment, really. So you look around and you think, you know, how many social connections do I have? And are they as good and as satisfying as what I think I should have? And that I think I should have comes from comparing yourself to your peers. So when young people look around and they see how many friends their, their classmates have uh, clearly their their standards are going to be pretty high and in fact sometimes impossibly high when they look at social media and their friends are always in pools or in cinemas or in picnics or in you know they seem to have this amazingly rich social life but of course that's curated that's selected and um, and if you really look at each individual they probably are only doing that once a week but still it seems like everybody is doing a huge amount um, and you're not you're not doing that and nobody is really because that's just not feasible but um, that's the idea that people get. And so young people are very exposed to that exaggerated, uh, curated world. And so the, their sense that they don't reach that standard is really quite acute. Older people are uh, at least given this, 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 um, this space where, you know, they're not expected to be hyper-connected. And so, of course, their standards then become a little bit easier to, to reach. Uh, that said, of course, people will differ very much across all age groups or within all age groups. They will differ very much in their own circumstances. And indeed, you might imagine that if you're quite old and vulnerable and fragile and you don't have much mobility um, and you are isolated, then, then it's going to be very difficult for you to feel connected to other people because you might not be able to get out and connect to others or, or to use technology to do that mm -hmm. because that's not available to you. So yeah. I, I wouldn't want to say that age is the, 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 the end of for of this story it's just that it when you look at the age it doesn't seem to be what people think yeah and, and Amy from your perspective at kind of the Marmalade Trust I think you probably agree with the statements of Louise and Manuela there in, in a sense of it not just being the elderly can you talk through what you've seen in, in your work yeah absolutely I think it's that sort of mismatch between what you feel that you want and um, and the quality and the quantity of relationships as well um, and I think having an understanding of what you need as an individual is really important. Um, we, we sort of know that the character traits of sort of introverts and extroverts and certainly know that some people need to have a lot more um, companionship and, and contact and relationships and, uh, and that, that's different for others. So it's very important to have an awareness of that. What we see in our work of working through with all different age groups um, is about that transition and those life transitions and how people will experience more loneliness at certain points in their lives. So such as being a new parent or changing school or college, moving away, 
being bereaved or again you know experiencing loss of peers and things as an older age yeah thank you for that Amy I, I guess we spoke a bit about the loneliness and how it's affected different people um I guess one thing is people might ask at this point is what's the what's the potential risk here or the potential damage from a, a mental or physical perspective um loneliness could, could i guess you know could last for a short amount of time but i guess over a longer time it, you know, i think we've seen links with anxiety depression um i saw one report from 2015 it said there was a 26 percent um increased uh, likelihood of early mortality as well so um as a group what, what do you kind of think is the, the longer term impact if you don't kind of um cope with loneliness don't improve your situation uh, what, what's the risk to you or to someone you love perhaps yeah, I think it's important to, to um, pause a little bit on that distinction between chronic loneliness and more transient loneliness, because loneliness is supposed to be functional. So pretty much, I mean, you often see it compared to thirst or hunger or fever, right? It's aversive, yes, but it's something that is there to signal a, a particular need that you have as a human being, which is to socialize, to, to connect to other people. Uh, and if you are in a circumstance like our normal daily life, where actually you can turn to that need and do something about it and respond to it, then it's perfectly fine. Then there is no damage. Um, where it becomes damaging is where you are unable to respond to that. And that could be, for example, because you are um, immobile or because we are all locked inside our own houses and perhaps you live alone or, you know, it could be a whole variety of circumstances. And, you know, let's not forget financial resources are really important in that as well. So um, when you're not able to respond, then that can get you into a cycle that might make it chronic. And it's then uh, that, that all the physical and mental health uh, outcomes will emerge. Uh, and so I would say actually that one of the biggest dangers of chronic loneliness is the fact that you can't get out of it. It's the fact that it's then very, very difficult to get into a mind frame, like uh, Louise was talking about mind frames, and that's really essential, get into a mind frame that actually gets you out there trying to connect once yeah. again. Yeah. Um, now, that's a good point, actually, Manuel. And I guess to turn that question uh, in, into another question, you'd be like, is, I mean, how um, is, is loneliness as bad as, as I know um, when we were speaking before Manuela as an example and, and Amy as well um, actually it might be in Louise I think you said it as a, an epidemic of not an ep epidemic as such but of, of emotion um, and perhaps it's not as bad as we make it out to be as a, as a society we know that solitude for example can, can be quite good um, in some respects I think it was um, the late neuroscientist John uh, Capecchio, I'm sure I'm pronouncing his name wrong, uh, but he believed that uh, we, we need to experience loneliness to some degree. It might, be, it might be unpleasant at some periods, but to form those new relationships, to, to I guess to put ourselves out there, as Manuela just said. Um, what, what's your thoughts on that, Louise? Um, I think, yes, having periods um, when we are a bit more isolated or alone, you know, it's healthy, certain amount of stress, it's kind of what people call tolerable stress is, is actually good for us as humans. Um, it's where it becomes um, intolerable. So we can learn from being alone and actually learn to value our relationships um, more. And, uh, you know, we're recording this podcast um, during the COVID-19 pandemic. And I know from a personal point of view, um, I've, I've found it quite lonely on occasions. Um, but and I think it will make me appreciate those things that I took for granted much more as, as, as kind of some semblance of normal life um, starts to return. 
So um, I think, yes, there are occasions when it, it can be a good thing, but it's where it becomes, as Manuela was saying, kind of self-perpetuating and, and actually starts to impact then on your own view of yourself and your self-esteem. And then it becomes a barrier. So mm -hmm. you think you kind of get out of practice of, of making new friends or forging those new connections. Um, and that's where I think it, it can become quite destabilizing. And I mentioned, um, for example, new parenthood being a, a, a difficult period potentially for some people where you can be very successful in your career or um, have a very active social life. And then um, when you become a parent for the first time, everything is kind of thrown up in the air and all the pieces lie down in a completely different order. And you're trying to make some sense of, of who you are and what your place is now that you have this whole other life to, to kind of to look after and to lead yourself. And so somebody who was incredibly um, confident and assertive, for example, in their work life can find it really, really hard to make new friendships um, at a mother and baby group, for example. And then that can become very destabilizing. You, you question, oh, how, how can I break out of this? How can I actually make friends? Um, so uh, that can, and as we know, postnatal depression is, is something that, that affects a lot of people in this situation. So I think it's when loneliness and isolation cause you to reflect badly on yourself, when it becomes something that you can't just realize and say, oh yeah, I'm feeling a bit lonely at the moment. That is because of X, Y, and Z. If I do A, B, and C, it will alleviate that. Mm -hmm. Um, I won't come on to the kind of COVID-19 situation in a few moments and also uh, Louise to that point about identity because I think there's a close link there but Amy I know you had some some additional comments that kind of add on that. Yeah just talking and thinking I obviously totally agree it's important to also acknowledge the people that loneliness as a as a normal sort of emotion a very very familiar common emotion and see it as, as kind of almost like a, a warning you know it's it's sort of it's showing us this unpleasant feeling that actually we need to have more connection and certainly we see a lot with people who kind of who message us and say to us what is this feeling is this loneliness and we've sort of learned without the research background but we've sort of learned through our ground work that actually if we can identify that and help people vocalize that quite early on that actually it can really really help people deal and dress that and and actually have some resilience going forward as well I've, I've been lonely myself and I think that I will be lonely again at another point in my life I accept it I know what the feeling feels like and I'm more resilient to loneliness I think now which which gives me some skills and some tools yeah just on the the kind of COVID-19 situation because I guess that's the elephant in the room probably at this point uh, that we're recording this during this pandemic and it's interesting Amy you said that um you know, yourself being lonely I think everyone probably on this call has been at some point but as it's different it basically differs per person right um I know Louise you were saying that you've really struggled with lockdown but Amy I know when we were speaking before I think you like myself perhaps more than that introvert scale and quite enjoyed the lockdown to, to for, for many reasons so I guess it does it does differ per person it's finding that line where as you said it's uh, I can deal with this it's comfortable and actually, I do need some more interaction and to go out and seek that and find that. It's uh, this pandemic has been a really interesting time for loneliness and for understanding people's experiences. And, and it surprised me. I've worked this build for, for many years and it's 
really surprised me to see the differences people have had. And we've had comments from new parents who've said they've never felt more connected because for the first time they're able to join in on, you know, virtual pub things and particularly single parents as well who are looking after their own child. Uh, we've, we actually had somebody who with a disability who was saying that they are concerned about when lockdown starts lifting and they have to go back into society because their life feels so enriched and so full at the moment whereas actually being a wheelchair user has barriers around in society and so it, it's a completely different feeling and and also we've had um, older people that we've been supporting in the past who've felt very isolated have scored very highly on a sort of loneliness scale that we've done within the organization and we've gone back to them during this pandemic and they've said again i i feel so connected because i've had five notes through the door of people who wanted to know if i could get my shopping because my neighbor's ringing me every day and because someone's singing to me at the end of the footpath and and, and they just feel so overwhelmed by the support they've had so there's some real positives in what is obviously an awful time yeah I mean, we spoke before about the community and, and that, that probably almost is a, a very strong link here with loneliness. And, and maybe you could argue that the, the key is after this lockdown is ended and we go back to whatever the new normal is, that it's important we take everybody with us and, and build them into, into the community. Um, we've mentioned the disabled and I think that the example I gave before this call was Simon Wheatcroft, the ultramarathon runner who's, um, uh, you know, he mentioned going to going to the playground to drop his kids off uh, before the pandemic and pe because he's visually impaired people didn't know how to interact with him so um, I mean Manuela perhaps when we get the other side of this is there an opportunity perhaps to to reimagine how our community looks how it feels and, and make sure it's inclusive so everyone feels feels part of it really I think we have that opportunity now uh, not later we have it now um, so we're only going to be able to do that to sort of take some of those things with us if we make sure that we invest in that now and that we uh, build strong communities. We take that momentum and make sure that those connections are interwoven and as, as dense as possible so that um, when you do come out of it, uh, and there will be other stressors, there will be, of course, a financial crisis after this, this and, and, and many others. Um, that we have that to to build on and and that as a resilience factor for us it's not after that we must do that and I think we need to remember all of the people that we now extended our hands to uh, we, we mustn't drop those we must realize that we now were all in a situation that on a on a normal uh, in a normal time only a more restricted group of people are in and we mustn't forget that you know and uh, we must make sure that we continue thinking about those wider um, accessible uh, social spaces um, that that give these other people uh, the opportunity to to interact but let's also know i mean i know that there's lots of silver linings and i and uh, in this situation but i i think we must also not forget that where communities are built people are excluded so you know uh, to give you an example you know there I've, I've heard about things like community whatsapp groups uh, facebook uh, pages for particular neighborhoods and things like that but when that starts being about, you know, um, how proud you are to be British or, you know, and things like that, then there's a few of us who are left out, really, and who feel actually perhaps a little threatened. So we also need to be careful and to be attentive now as we look around and see where it's failing, where it's not actually producing that, that strong uh, cohesion um, that we aim for. 
um, inadvertently many times really uh, and make sure that we continue learning those lessons I think as Amy was referring to this is almost like an experiment <laughs> that you know you wouldn't have been able to create it had been highly unethical but there you go it's here uh, and we can learn from it uh, in this kind of concentrated way um, if we really look carefully around this yeah some great points points there and I think it now is the time I think to to make those changes I mean uh, I guess uh, another we're speaking about community another angle that we touched on earlier that is linked to this and Louise you spoke about this is it's this identity piece that loneliness comes down to how we identify ourselves um and I think that the, the kind of new mum is a, is a great example of that because even when we were speaking before you mentioned you know you may the, the only link you may have with someone especially for a new mum might be the fact that you have two young babies that might be the sole uh, thing that binds you really so what what's your take on the link there between loneliness and identity um i think there's a real issue with loneliness in the in our society and that it carries a certain amount of stigma with it and um with our work we try and um kind of measure the impact of what we're doing and um and and see how how our work is is influencing things and something that we find really difficult to measure is loneliness because um you ask people you know how often do you you know do you feel lonely and actually people are really reticent often to to identify as lonely because they think that it somehow marks them out as as somebody that people might not want to socialize with um, obviously that's not not always the case but often that's what people have said to us is that they feel uncomfortable with the tag of being a lonely person so i think there's a certain amount of work that we need to do to destigmatize loneliness and to to really let people know that um loneliness doesn't have to it's not a badge that you have to wear it doesn't have to define you it's something that almost all of us will go through to some extent or other um at some point in our lives um and so it you know if we can get rid of some of that kind of shame about it hopefully people will be more willing to address the fact that they feel lonely and kind of seek out ways and means to kind mm -hmm. of to alleviate that yeah. um and those are going to be very different for each individual you know there's no one size fits all for for one new mum it might be going to those baby groups and coffee mornings and they might find a real um, outlet in that and kind of kindred spirits for others that would be their worst nightmare you know making small talk with a group of people that they don't know so it's um it's very much uh bound up with identity in terms of how we um, personally experience it but also the ways to alleviate that as well just on that stigma i mean amy i want to come to you uh, on on this point as well because i know you've got some thoughts but with their so i guess the question to you is how are you seeing that stigma and are you seeing certain groups that maybe are less um, or more reticent to come forward and and embrace it i mean the example i guess i give is um uh you know men in particular would probably be we've seen this with mental health generally they're kind of less willing to to be open about this uh i did see a study actually before uh this recording from the book of man that one in three men admitted they were lonely during this process which i thought was um you know qu quite a good stride you know quite a quite a significant number um and in fact a friend of mine um you know said, said, said as much recently that he felt lonely and this was a guy with with uh, family 
um, who probably wouldn't have admitted, admitted that maybe two or, two or three years ago. So how, how do you see the kind of stigma and are there, pe- are there certain members of society that will are more kind of less willing to come forward uh, on this kind of point? I think there's there's a, a huge amount of sort of shame and stigma that's attached with loneliness and it seems like there has been for some time and it's been interesting uh, trying to sort of address that as an organisation with, with Loneliness Awareness Week. One of the aims is to talk about it more openly and, and freely and there's lots of different aspects to that. One of the uh, issues is obviously the language that we use and, and interestingly that people still talk about how they suffered from loneliness and they admit it. Um, it, it's seen as tackling and yet on the other side we need to encourage people to recognize that this really is a normal emotion because if we can have that resilience to it then it will it will stop people from, from experiencing it in more of a chronic way I think there is a difficulty with having that conversation I've done quite a lot of work a health professional by background and many years ago talking to sort of district nurses and things about how we discuss loneliness and particularly working out in the community and I think there's a a hesitance to use the word and uh, a hesitance to know how to respond people expect that there'll be this sudden outpouring of sadness and emotion whereas in my experience that isn't the case Um, but I feel very strongly that if we keep not talking about the word we're we're going to see things in the way that cancer was described many years ago as the big c Um, if if we don't use the word loneliness how will we ever get out of of changing the language around it and accepting this as a normal emotion. And Manuel, I know you want to add something to that. Yeah, so there's a lot to be said about this. There's very little understanding, even in the academic literature, but but even less in the general population about really what uh, what, what loneliness is and what uh, and and how you should look at it. And the very idea of even talking about a lonely person, which is um, you know you see that all the time, lonely people, there's lonely people that. And I, I I honestly think that that's the wrong way to go. We need to think about loneliness as a feeling, as a, as something that you experience, but not as a type of person because that doesn't lead you anywhere. Uh, how can you help help uh, reduce loneliness if you see it as just as a type of person who is like that full point no, no it, it is a feeling and it goes with circumstances and it goes with situations and potentially there are some individual traits that can make you more vulnerable or more at risk um, but you know I would I would say also that some some of the language uh, even used by some charities like for example the campaign to end loneliness is, is unhelpful because we don't want to end loneliness we want to be able to manage loneliness and to, and to and to mitigate chronic loneliness but we don't want to end it because really that's an unrealistic game <laughs> and, and it's not really very helpful so um, I think that also helps to stigmatize loneliness if all we're doing is aiming to end it, right? So uh, I I think that's not helpful. It's a little bit um, unconsiderate. Um, So what we do see in research is exactly that, um, well, there's two two aspects that I would like to mention. One is what what Louise and Amy already alluded to, the idea that if you use the word loneliness, you get very different types of responses than when you're not using the word loneliness, but you're trying to get at it by asking about different things like, you know, do you feel a lack of companionship or do you have people on whom to confide, for example. Uh, But there's another angle, which is a more qualitative angle, is what, what do people say when you ask them? 
what is loneliness for them? How, you know, when you do experience, then what is it that you experience? How does this seem to you? And one of the things we find is that people talk a lot about connection and disconnection. And that seems to be a little bit less stigmatized and a little bit more meaningful to them than the word loneliness. So that might be a cue to, to keep in mind when thinking about, you know, destigmatizing this, this thing that we call loneliness. But there's other ways in which you can feel it that actually have very less to do with that, with that idea of connection and disconnection. So one of my favorite definitions, and that's of course a very personal thing, that's because for me, when I do feel loneliness, it tends to be about that, is the idea of a, an experienced lack of empathic understanding. So that's the idea of you don't get it. You don't get what I'm feeling. You don't get, you know, it happens a lot, for example, when you're uh, undergoing bereavement. Uh, when people really feel like what they're going through is so incredible that nobody really can possibly understand that. And so that loneliness that goes with it is very much a loneliness of that idea that nobody really can understand what you feel. Uh, so again, that's quite different from what we were talking about before. It falls under the same general bag, uh, but it's, a, it's quite different. And so, of course, you will also think that when trying to intervene, you need to think about exactly what you're trying to intervene on and whether or not that's um, something that is about getting people out there speaking to each other, or it's actually a little bit more about deepening those conversations that are had around the issue that is making you feel lonely, for example. That's some great comments then, Manuel. I'd like to stay on that, that intervention piece, because I guess that in itself is quite interesting in, in how you help people um that might be lonely i'm sure at the moment there's a lot of people amongst our own family and friends that are struggling uh, and, and again as before as we said before people are different in how they want to um uh, to what extent they want that connection so um what would your advice be to to someone that if you if you perhaps some of those that are listening today are either going through loneliness or perhaps know a friend or family member that are what would your advice be to kind of um helping them and amy i know you've got some thoughts on that um, I think the first thing that we've sort of touched on it is, is about that acknowledging it and it's about recognizing this as a, as a normal emotion. So the, obviously the people that are experiencing chronic loneliness where it's having an effect on their health and well-being, then it, you really need to reach out to the GP and maybe need to have a little bit more time with some professional support. But thinking about your own everyday experiences of sort of transient loneliness and when you feel that, the first key is, is to acknowledge it. it recognize it as it's okay to feel lonely it is quite normal and then identify what you need so think about yourself as a person are you an introvert or an extrovert or what are the relationships that you've got at the moment which particular type of aspect of your relationships are making you feel lonely is it within a particular relationship or is it within your family or are you sitting in the pub when we used to go to the pub with your uh, with your friends and finding that um, you actually feel really different from them so so where is that? And then thinking about taking action because ultimately we're, we're all responsible for ourselves. And so think about what you can do for yourself. How can you reach out? Who can you talk to about your experiences of loneliness, people that you trust? How can you make that more fulfilling? Is it your relationships? Is it other friendships? Do you need to start new hobbies? Do you want to join meetup groups? Or do you want to link in more with the relationships that you've got? That's some good advice. And I, I feel a bit sad that you mentioned the pub there, but um, I guess we all are at this point. Um, I mean, in terms of um, uh, that's some really sound advice. To, to what degree does that differ when we look at some, uh, uh, well, that's one 
significant member of society we haven't looked at is children right now that must be going through a lot of loneliness. I mean, they probably do anyway when they're on the playground and a certain kid doesn't play with them or they're sitting at school having their lunch and someone won't sit with them. So this is not, again, a new thing, but in particular right now, they're probably struggling with that. Certainly the kids that are still at home, uh, and you know, for example, I imagine if you're a single child and your parents are working, that must be an incredibly lonely time. So um, how would, is that the same guidance you would give to a, to a child or, or does it differ slightly in, in, in how you help them? I think with children, it's really important for, for the parents to, to really acknowledge that language. And we've had discussions with some five, six-year-olds before and um, well, asked the question, have you ever been lonely? And it, it's amazing. Every single child stuck their hand straight up in the air and said yes, for all of those reasons that you just said. And the parents looked absolutely horrified. The teachers looked horrified and they thought, oh my goodness, what am I doing wrong? And we had to explain that actually, this is a really, really normal emotion. And so in a way, it feels like we as adults are perpetuating that stigma. And what we need to do, I guess, for parents, if the parents listening, is, is have that conversation with your child. How can you facilitate more of those meaningful relationships for your children? If, if it is about peer-to-peer context, then um, lots of kids are fantastic at technology. So can they actually be using WhatsApp groups and can they do video time calls and, and actually encourage that connection? And of course, as the lockdown is when kids are able to be out and about about being able to sort of facilitate that safely uh, to increase that contact but I think it's all about having open honest conversations um, and really bringing that into the culture of, of your family. Um, Louise go to you first and then Manuela. Yeah just to to add and I think that's really important and actually something that is an incredibly important role of our, our jobs as a parent, I'm speaking as a, a parent myself, is to help children to name their emotions and to be able to talk about them and express them. So um, if your child you know, is, is telling you that they feel lonely, in a way that's, that's great because they, can, they feel safe to, to vocalise that and they can talk about it. And actually giving them the space to do that, making them feel supported, letting them know that that's okay, we all feel like that, and let's talk about ways we can alleviate that. Um, that should be seen in, in a way as a positive thing. It's, it's when children don't feel that they can talk about these things and that because they're worried their concerns will be dismissed or they'll be laughed at or they'll just be kind of jollied along and, and because the parent feels so, so awkward about it. So I think, yes, naming these emotions and, and, and being able to talk about them without the parent kind of, um, clamming up or worrying is is really really important and very very healthy. That's a good point. Um, Manuela, I know you want to add to that as well. Yeah, I mean, just to complete uh, the uh, to go to follow closely on what Liz was just saying, the idea also that parents model a lot, and and so modeling to your children the idea that you can admit to sometimes feeling lonely or feeling that you need to be with your friends a little bit, or you know that that's also really important because one of the things that we tend to do is we tend to have a hierarchy of of needs, an implicit hierarchy of needs, in which we think all of these things are really really important. Uh, loneliness. Um, or social connection is not, we're not always aware of how important that is. And we think it's a bit of a luxury when we've done everything else and maybe we've watched all of the, of the, of the whole series on Netflix and that and that and that, then maybe I'll think about calling someone, but by then it might be too late. By then you might feel really low. You might feel really upset. So 
I think what I would say is the most important thing really, or one of the most important things is to really don't wait until you're really desperately lonely. I mean, try to keep those connections going on a daily basis, really, even if it's um, by proxy or almost really just by looking at your pictures and, and thinking, oh yeah, this is my place in the world. This is the, these are my people. This is who I connect to. Uh, but not every day. I think you do need some real connections uh, um, now and then. Uh, with with regard to adolescence, I think it's important to acknowledge that it's a phase when uh, first they are feeling a lot of things for the first time, or at least for some of the first times. So they may have felt as kids, uh, as younger children already some loneliness, but uh, not as intensely because then they, they are feeling everything much more intensely as well. And they're more aware of a, a variety of things and they're more worried about the future because they see the future uh, uh, from a longer perspective. So that, that is, I think, one of the reasons why the lesson is such a critical period. But at that point, the, the comparison we talked about earlier is also really fundamental. So it's also about having conversations about what's realistic, what's, what's real, what's real from what we see. Uh, you know, and, um, and and trying to adjust those those ideals a little bit, you know, that, that it's not because some of your friends have a, a whole posse of five, of, of five people behind them at all times, that your posse of two is, is a problem. <laughs> uh, so, you know, be, having a bit of those conversations um, and relating yourself to, to, to that uh, would be extremely helpful, I think. I love that uh, yeah, posse of five, posse of two. Because I guess that is that brings me nicely to my next point, which we spoke about a few days ago, which was um, the kind of social media piece, right? And uh, my background is a technology journalist, as I said the other day. So um, social media, obviously, throughout this time has been a huge benefit to many people. And I guess it goes to all the comments that you've said today, in a sense of people you know, that are in their homes, they still have that connection in some shape or form to other friends or family members. However, you could argue at the same time, social media does, um, as you said, Manuela, kind of, you get a curated feed, don't you? Um, and uh, you're only seeing the best bits um, of what someone's been up to or what someone's achieving. So that in itself can make, can, can make for lonely experiences, right? So what, what's your kind of view on, I guess, as an individual, if you're listening to this podcast today, and maybe you use social media to connect with friends, but also you want to kind of, um, yeah, look after your own sanity and, and uh, yeah, kind of keep those connections, but uh, look after yourself as well. Amy, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's really important to know how it makes you feel. And uh, there's a lot of discussion about social media in particular and, and how we use it. But it's, it's, we're all individuals and it's really important to, to notice how it makes you feel. If you're scrolling through Facebook and lots of images and you're feeling separate and you're feeling more detached, more unloved, and increasing feelings of loneliness, then you, you really need to identify that and, and limit the time that you're doing that. There is a place for social media and there is going to be a growing sort of place for that and a, and a place for connection. And, and equally, you can feel part of groups and forums and WhatsApp groups and things which make you feel really connected. People are reminding you and reminiscing of things and um, it will just see something and think of you and it can change your whole sort of view on the day so we're all individuals we're all using it to different points and it's important to just know how it makes you feel am i allowed to add to that yeah so so i think what what the academic literature has come to the conclusion uh, uh a few years ago was was the idea that uh, it really depends on on whether you are using technology to replace 
face-to-face uh, -face social interactions or whether you're using it as an extension thereof. So for example, when my kids come out of their school bus and start texting the one that they've just left behind, that would, be, that would qualify as an extension. And, and it really serves a very important function because you can't possibly not say immediately what you're really thinking, uh, even though you've just left them. So that's really important for them and it's not gonna make them feel lonely, quite the opposite. Uh, but if you are uh, using social media as, a, as um, a replacement of other interactions, then that might indeed make you feel lonely. Now, that was a conclusion that, that people reached um, prior to something like what we're living right now. And I think this is making us think a bit more about the life that a lot of people live, which is a life in which actually those face-to-face -face connections aren't possible. And if those are not possible, then perhaps social media do um, work even when they're replacing those social interactions, but there might be conditions for that to work. Uh, and so there's, a, there's, there's now more work uh, starting to emerge around that, around you know, what are the conditions under which we, um, we can successfully engage with, with uh, social media and other technology, for example, radio. Uh, to, that are actually going to make us feel connected rather than disconnected. Um, I think I agree with Amy, it also has to do, you know, you need to be attentive to how you feel about things. But I guess one thing I wanted to add to what Amy was saying is, is not just the angle of getting help and, and, and connecting for your own purposes, but also the angle of connect and help, because that's actually ultimately one, going to strengthen your community and two, going to make you feel great because there's nothing like helping other people to feel great about yourself. So, so I think, you know, if social media is giving you that opportunity, then it's definitely helping the community and the individual. So we need, we need to be a bit more nuanced about what we say about these things. Fantastic. Um, so we're pretty much coming to the end, but I guess it's always good to finish with some kind of practical tips. So anyone that's listening and, and Amy, I think in particular yourself, you addressed some earlier, but um, I guess if you had to give a couple of tips to, to anyone listening, that's either going through loneliness or more likely perhaps um, have friends or family they want to help. Um, Amy, I'll start again with yourself. What are your thoughts beyond that? I just kind of leading on from what my mother said there. Um, actually, it's volunteering and helping other people it, one of the things that we've recognized and noticed with people who are starting to experience more chronic loneliness one of the ways of, of helping people manage to get out of that feeling and is feel more useful and feel more connected and and for, for all of us certainly for myself it was it was a way to help me feel really connected by joining charities when I was in a city where I didn't know anyone I felt very useful and it felt different a different experience to joining groups and things so um, I think you know it's a really good point to mention that helping others is a very good way of making yourself feel less lonely. Uh, Louise your final tips and then I'll come to you Manuela. Sure yeah um, I'm going to touch on something um, very specific, um, which is around loneliness and, and older adults and particularly people living with dementia, because um, we work with a lot of people who are living with dementia. And um, we speak to family members who say that um, sometimes they can find it quite difficult to know how to interact with, with their loved one who's living with dementia, because um, as we know, one of the, um, the symptoms of, of dementia is um, issues with, with memory loss. So um, a family member can, can visit their loved one um, who's living with dementia and then that person might forget that they've ever had that visit or they might struggle to, to, to remember the person's name or their connection. And 
that can feel really, really difficult um, for that family member. And it, you know, people have said to me, I've kind of, I realize I've stopped visiting a bit and I feel a bit bad, but I feel like they don't even remember that I'm coming. And I think what's something that we really stress to people is that um, dementia can often um, affect the part of the brain that, that yes, deals with the kind of the, the hippocampus or the factual parts of our memories, date, date, dates, times, names, that kind of thing. But what it doesn't affect so much is the part that deals with emotions. Um, so the person living with dementia might, yes, forget that you visited them or forget the details of what you did. But what will stay with them is the feelings of companionship, of feeling loved, of feeling happy, um, and of having an emotional connection with somebody. And that will last the rest of the day and beyond. So we say to people, um, your visits do really still have an impact and they can help that person to feel more connected and, and to reduce the sense of, of social isolation because whilst they might forget the, the details of the visit, they will remember that connection and that feeling of love. So, and actually when we frame that to people, it, it helps them because they think, okay, I, my visit is making a difference. Um, and it's in a different way maybe than, than what I thought, but it's still really important. So I think as, as we move on past this COVID world and we start to be able to have those face-to-face -face interactions again, um, I think that's a really important thing for people to bear in mind. Brilliant, thanks Louise. And, and Manuela, finally over to you, um, yeah, what are your well, final tips? Yeah, so I guess I, uh, I just want to add to that by looking at a slightly different level of analysis, which is the idea that loneliness is not just an individual issue or an individual responsibility, but, but an issue of communities and also a responsibility of communities. So we spoke earlier about you contributing to that community, but actually that community needs also to provide the resources and the conditions and the infrastructures for people to allow themselves to connect to each other, but also for them to be able to do so. So where there's no transport, where people are under-resourced, where finances are terrible, where uh, there are no public, public spaces that are decent enough or appealing enough for someone to hang out and, uh, you know, uh, there's no wonder that those neighborhoods aren't cohesive, that they don't feel like nice spaces to be in and stop and speak to each other, or that people don't smile when they cross each other in the street. So, you know, there's a responsibility there that goes beyond each individual. And I think um, there's also a lot of a, a lot of discourse within this particular country, and I'm sure in many others too, um, about loneliness being very much something that you need to do something about as an individual. You need to just go out there and interact with other people you need to just do this or that or that or that when actually there's a lot that needs to be done uh, by central government and um, and councils and so on fantastic um we've pretty much reached the end of uh, today's chat but um manuela thank you louise and amy thank you as well really enjoyed the chat so kind of thank you for taking part today we really appreciate it thank you thank you thank you that's it then. Once more, a huge thanks to Amy, Louise and Professor Manuela for taking part. You can find their details in the show notes alongside other reference material cited today. And I also recommend you check out marmaladetrust.org or thetogetherproject.co.uk. If you've enjoyed today's episode and hopefully found it useful, please do follow and rate Silo on all good podcast channels. You can also follow us on social media, in particular on Facebook and Twitter, or sign up to our newsletter at silomag.com, and that's where you'll find my latest live musings. Thank you, everyone. Goodbye, and see you soon.